Well, hello. Welcome to another episode of the Tukin Echo podcast. It's a new day. It's not a new day. <laughs> it's been about 10 minutes since we recorded the last podcast, but here we are, recording in bulk. Still in a coffee shop in London. We should probably mention this place, you know. Doppio in West Ealing. Yeah. Delicious coffee. Delicious so coffee. Nice. And this is only the decaf coffee because it is 4 p.m. It's probably the most flavours and decaf coffee I've ever had. Because you, because you just not as good. You, you lose some flavonoids, or whatever it's called. Yeah, you can't be losing flavonoids. Um, you lose some stuff from the decaf process. So real coffee snobs. Are out. flavonoids a real thing? Because it sounds like you just took the word flavour and made it sound into like real. a particle. Yeah, I think they're real. Like, uh, I'm not allowed to it, am I? No. I think flavonoids are real. Flavor comes from flavonoids. <laughs> That's a real fact. So what, through the kind of genetic manipulation they have to do to make them decaf, you lose some of the old flavor? Yeah. That makes sense. I can't remember how they do it. Um, I don't think it's actually too hard. I don't, I don't even know if they genetically do it, but it's, it's not too hard to get rid of them. Interesting. I covered it in chemistry when I studied chemistry back in the day, but I don't remember. There is still caffeine in it, though. A little bit. Yeah, but a tiny bit. It's like 0.5. If like a normal coffee has 30 milligrams and a tea has like 10, decaf coffee is like 0.5 to like maybe 2 at the max. It's a lot lower. Hence, I can drink like 10 a day. (laughs) Please don't take this from me. The only no, thing I suffer is my teeth. <laughs> it's fine. All yellow. So I just, just brush. Which I do, just for the record. Um, so, we want to continue our conversation. So, our uh, podcast that we recorded 10 minutes ago um, was on singles versus albums and just a really wide open general discussion on how the album developed, why people have moved to releasing singles more frequently now, and how it feels to release singles and albums and mm. kind of we don't really know what we should do <laughs> and we're gonna i think we're gonna focus this a little yeah. bit more on two connected but if that album. sounds good to you check out episode 26 of two connected podcast yeah well should be up by now to part two you're a crazy person <laughs> <laughs> also that's fine yeah but also welcome <laughs> We're crazy people too. I like your don't let the system tell you what to do attitude. Yeah, congratulations. Um, so, I think we're going to talk a bit more about ourselves. And, well, a bit about the Grateful Dead. And the fish. Just, yeah. And Tiffany are the next people on in line. <laughs> um, but it's kind of what makes it a bit more interesting for the format that we're in now is kind of despite all the technological developments. There's an expectation built up of how music is released and the technology's not limiting us, it's kind of culture that limits you to that. The limit, uh, and maybe there's some inherent logic to it, there probably is. Maybe there's a reason that it goes like this, Just it's just been sort of shaped over time to the best method. Yeah. But essentially, we still work around that People will make a batch of new songs, release them probably as an album book, singles, or some sort of combination of both, and then go play them live and then kind of repeat the process. Here's new songs I've recorded in the studio, mm. and then 
come see me play them live. Particularly now, you know, um, not in COVID times, but gigs are a big source of income, so the yeah. playing them live thing is happening pretty often. Yeah. Um, we're kind of discounting a lot of people who have different models here, like YouTubers and... The, Bedroom poppers. There are people who do differently to that, but let, let's just say, like, in the general, what people perceive as the music industry, mm. that's the pattern that goes. But one of the things that's... <laughs> As I sort of said, technology doesn't force you into that model, and like the reason, I mean, why why did you know like the studio started out as a way to capture a live performance, and in, in it's really oh interesting. In its first like invention, it's like we used to it back in the 1700s up to like the 1930s, 40s. Yeah. Like the only the only way you could hear music was someone who could play the instruments and sing mm. or whatever would perform it for you. Yeah. Then, like, recording becomes more advanced. And so, essentially, they're going to record that performance that could have only happened in, in person once. I f- yeah. And then people can take it home and, like, play it again and again and again, which couldn't... I, f- I find the whole idea of only being able to see music live absolutely, like, extraordinary. That's, that's such a different time, isn't it? Like, you would, like... It would... Oh, look, there's a motorbike outside. That's loud. Um, so you, you'd only like actually get to see music. I, I just find that such a weird concept. Like you go to a pub and there'll be like a band playing, and that was the only time you get to see music or something. And that's just like. I mean, this was that was you know recording sort of took off in the thirties, forties. Mm. Yeah, and then most people didn't buy buy records originally though. They're quite expensive, so yeah. radio had been like a lot of what people would be orientated about. So you'd hear yeah. stuff on radio rather than repeat your record that kind of came a bit later but yeah in like in like sort of Mozart's day yeah it'd be I mean most 99% people would never even like hear music no no they, no they would no they would because you'd have different like you'd have like folk songs and stuff yeah they'd hear uh, that sort and, of stuff, and, and, and like a symphony if you got if you were lucky enough to hear it you'd hear it once or twice oh, yeah, in your life apart from yeah. the kings very much like a kind of class divide in terms of what music, but pe- people still have music in like, as I said, I, 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 call, I call it a pub, but I probably should have said like a tavern. Yeah. yeah well, <laughs> um, you'd have like a kind of, um, yeah, in the, yeah. You'd, you'd have musicians of sorts. Um, yeah, yeah, I think I kind of exaggerate, but I'm just imagining like someone going to hear an orchestra, they might do that like once or twice in their whole life. Yeah, I think that's, you don't imagine how good that would be though. Oh my God. That'd be like the best night. Yeah, like mind blowing. Yeah. Oh. Cause I, I don't know if you've ever seen like a kind of actual live like orchestra. Um, the shows and stuff. They are. I've not gone to see one. They are so good. I, I've only been to see one a couple of times, and, and it wasn't like I think it was. Um, oh, I, I had a friend whose um, dad was like a surgeon, and he was in the kind of UK surgeons orchestra as a violinist. I went to see them, and they were like just like a random a sort of. Oh, yeah, but. That was amazing. I had like shivers down my spine the whole time. Yeah. Um, there's definitely something about a whole orchestra. So imagine if you didn't even have music or recorded music, or you'd never heard any of like Mozart or Bach's mm. pieces before, and then you just kind of go to a performance. Mm, and get hit by that sound. Absolutely. I'd, yeah, it'd be mind blowing. I don't know how I. I don't know how people would. <laughs> I'm just broken thinking about it. <laughs> mm. um. So then I suppose like the, so the, the, that, the point there, which I think I've made on a previous podcast, but the point there is like the record industry wasn't always a thing, but then it became a thing, like 50s and 60s. Mm. Um, and it started out as like, 
singles and like people would just still I mean the technology wasn't super advanced it would be like a mic in a room mm. and everyone would bring their stuff and around him. play it and the drum would be really far away in the yeah. corner just so that wasn't like really we loud bring yeah, that back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> drummers have got a bit too much sonic <laughs> bandwidth at the moment taking up a bit too much room um, and then you know which we've been through on the last one things got more advanced but still there's this thing of we're gonna make all our songs in the studio. Well, well, it's moved from capturing a live performance to like, kind of now the studio comes oh, first. Yeah, it became its own thing, yeah. Um, like, we're now gonna make the song in a studio first, then work out how to play it live. Mm. And I think that's kind of most, that's kind of mostly carried on. There's still some bands <coughs> that lean more, more or less the other way. There's some people who are really bedroomy, studio only, mm. do all the instruments themselves and couldn't really play live. And there's some who are much more of a live band and they're kind of trying to capture their stage. Mm. There's all, all a spectrum of people who do yeah. everything now. Um, and we'll link it back to Tukanko in a sec. The only other thing I have to say is that like, people who bucked the trend early were definitely Grateful Dead. Oh man. Because I was watching the documentary again yesterday. Um, I, really wa I watched it like a few weeks ago, and I just had a hungry to watch it again, so I'm going to do it again. Yeah. Um, but they were, they were like a really made and built and alive on the road. Mm. So, well, they were inspired by the book on the road. Yeah. Um, so that's where they wanted to be. That's the life they wanted to lead. But they were quite, like for their day, they were pretty dismissive of like studio albums. They didn't naturally fit them. Yeah. Because like a lot of their stuff was improvised and oriented about like what being a one with the audience. Yeah. Um, the studio was just a kind of throwaway like thing to annoying, generate yeah. money. Yeah, I mean, for, for context, like in our, in our last podcast, we were talking about how um, the kind of heyday for the album was, or the kind of formation and therefore heyday was like late 60s, early mm. kind of 70s. And this is just when the Grateful Dead were kind of becoming a bit, a bit of a thing with their kind of complete opposite of just playing relentless amounts of shows. Mm. Um, they didn't want to, whereas what kind of developed out of the attitude of I'm going to go make the song in the studio and then recreate it live like it puts this studio recording on a pedestal of being like the perfect incarnation of the song mm. like I have to chisel out the perfect version of the studio every note is worked out every like, yeah the, there's no mistakes there's it's all like perfectly formed and glossy yeah um, I don't like that and then the live tries to recapture that thing that you've sculpted and I feel that attitude is like a lot of what a lot of musicians it's flipped hasn't it that's interesting um, but that was what the Great Dead was interesting is they were kind of a bit averse to the idea that it's going to be the same each, mm. each time because, because they knew that the real soul of their band was that they're going to play different at every show mm. and you've got to be there to see that version yeah. um, or around it creates this thing of tapes mm. where like the fans tape it themselves and create this kind of Although they had a culture that you don't like, you can't buy tapes or they shouldn't sell them to each other, they should just trade them. Um, really? I yeah, love yeah, that. It's, it's kind of. Um, crazy, I'm sure some people do still sell them, but like within the culture of like the deadheads, mm. so you're not really supposed to sell them, you're supposed to like trade them. Um, I like that. So it kind of separates the value of their jams from like money, but it makes it its own sort of thing. Yeah, so the most recorded band probably ever. Grateful Dead. Weren't really that bothered about recording at least in the studio. <laughs> so I'm just really interested by that and like linking that back to Tukaneko. 
But I don't know if you've got any thoughts on all that before we link back to Duke and Echo, actually. Well, I guess from a wider perspective, there's definitely something about a kind of... God, you always finish your coffee. James is... I've still got half left. I, I hope you don't I'm get too jealous, James, as, as, you, as you watch me... You watch me sip my half-filled coffee. All these nines on our loyalty card. <laughs> yeah, this is our first day here, and we've got four stamps on the loyalty card. <laughs> Amazing. Maybe we'll get a free coffee today. Who knows? <laughs> so, I kind of want to think about the kind of wider point um, about the actual live performance. So sage-like. Hang on, pause the podcast for a photo. There we go, done. Just, <laughs> sorry, I, I, don't, I don't want to keep interrupting your point. You just look like such a wise, like, sage and you were holding it and staring off and talking. Oh, you're missing your podcast. We need to be videoing this. He's just holding his coffee cup aloft, staring out the window and going, I think... Yeah, carry on. So... The wider point of um, the live performance as a spectacle in itself across all kind of uh, art forms, whether it's like dance or like a circus or music or, I don't know, live painting, if that exists, I don't know. But there is something that separates a live performance, aside from the kind of music and how the song sounds, and it's the kind of performance itself. And the, for me, it's the risk-taking. There's an excitement in the risk that a band is playing, a band is taking by playing their music. Um, and I mean, granted, a lot of people seek to take out as much of that risk as possible by having like backing tracks and metronomes and like cues and all, all, all this stuff and getting like pro musicians on stage to, not pro musicians, like session musicians on stage to kind of um, play the music really well. But for me, there's something about a live performance that is a, it's like a, almost like a danger thing, it's like, oh, are they going to do it, or like, how far are they going to push it, and are they going to mess up, and when they don't, there's like an adrenaline fueled sense of like, in some cases, like, genuine euphoria at what you're seeing, and it's like, oh my god, that was so, that was like the most exciting and amazing thing that I've ever seen, that's, that's the kind of emotions that I've had when I go see like a really great band play live, and, and for me, it's the improvisational ones, like, I love seeing jazz, and I love it when bands play parts of their songs that aren't on the record because it's more exciting. It's like, oh my god, what are they doing? They're, they're, they're going into uncharted territory. Are we going to be okay? I don't know. And there's that element of a live performance. Um, and you can kind of, uh, kind of um, put that onto radio as well. Like, that's live. Um, live TV sometimes. Um, so, I think there's something other than the sound of the music that is being performed that makes a live uh, show exciting. Oh yeah. It's also seeing those people in the flesh for the first time. There's that as well, yeah. People creating the noise are right in front of you, they're not coming from like some <coughs> void somewhere. Mm. Yeah. I did, have, I did have another point on that kind of line as well. but. I just think, to, to, I mean, to your, to your point about seeing them in the flesh, you can still play a track as it was in the studio and see someone in the flesh. Mm. Um, but I don't think well, you get the same kind of buzz. <laughs> exactly, that's what that's what most pop artists do. You're right. Yeah. Um, so 
Oh, here's the other point I had. There's also a kind of excitement of seeing it first if you're watching it live. Mm. So you can, there, there, there's like a kind of prestige around, oh, I was there, I was there when that happened. Like, I actually saw that happen in real time, like when it actually happened, like, um, if something, even if, some, if it, even if it's something that goes wrong, like to be there in the moment is something to like brag about to mm. all your other people, all your other friends. Mm. Just think back in the day that a live, a live show was simply there to sell a record. You would go tour, so people would then go buy the album. Mm. Think how things have flipped. Like no one's going to come and see you unless they've like heard your song. I know. Yeah. Um, so but I think strange. that's because you know. There used to be less TV channels, less radio, less stuff going on. And if you went out, like, I suppose there'd be DJs in clubs somewhere, but you'd go out to see live bands and you'd mm. run into a band and if you liked them, you'd buy their record. I hope that culture doesn't go away because I still enjoy going to see a random band. Mm. Um, I mean, it's very hard to find these days where you just see a venue that's playing music. I mean, especially, like, around, um, like, London and then... Mm. I, I, I barely ever walk past a place that's advertising that like, there's, oh, there's going to be music playing tonight. Mm. I always go to me. I mean, there's obviously loads of music playing in London, but you have to kind of seek it out and know where it's going to be on to actually find it. You have to be in quite a particular mood to go. I'm just, mm. I'm not even going to look up that band first, you know? Yeah, I know. So I love going to um, festivals mm. because you do have that kind of atmosphere. Like, yeah, you, you might go to a festival because like you've got three or four bands or maybe even like 10 bands that you know that are playing there that you want to go and see. But then there's also like, you, you do have downtime where you can just like stroll into a tent and see a band that you might, might not yeah, have seen before. Sure. I think that's really cool. What was that French band that we saw? La Femme. Yeah, they were great. La Femme, they were, yeah, they, they were good. So that's there's- something I would never listen to. Yeah. We, we, never find on Spotify, yet they were there just super artsy, crazy moves. So we went to a, some Citadel Festival in London. This was maybe, two, three years ago. Yeah. Um, and we went, because I think Tame Impala were headlining or something. Um, so we went there and to be fair, I had heard of La Femme before and I listened to a couple of their songs, but I was like, oh yeah, guys, we should go check out La Femme because they're playing on the main stage, like middle, middle of the afternoon. Uh, I think um, France were playing Croatia in the World Cup final on exactly the same time or something like this. Anyway, so we went to see this band La Femme and they just put on like an absolutely mental show. There's like, there's like, seven or eight of them in the band and I seem well, to remember doing that. I know yeah I seem to at any one point there's only like four of them playing music so the rest are just like running around stage just yeah. performing antics and it was yeah. just like that was cool yeah. <laughs> that was a really cool show yeah walking the line between sort of noise at times and speech and mm. with quite savage like bass lines and yeah they're quite dancing and they just got this like savage French attitude so I do think festivals are a a good example of running into bands that like you wouldn't know as much. I mean, I get the impression that this is they were saying this on this Rock is Rock is Dead documentary yesterday that like oh, yeah. festivals have become a lot more about the, like the audience experience of the festival than the bands. Um, like a lot of people now go to Glastonbury to go to Glastonbury. Yeah. And the, the Glastonbury experience. And, Bands don't matter as much. Yeah, it's the people there. It the used concert. to be like, I've got to go and see the Who, or I've got to go and see. Who. Yeah. Um, and that happens to be it. There's probably a bit of both. But yeah, I get the impression that people who aren't that into music could still go to Glastonbury. Glastonbury is, I think they start, they kind of advertise themselves as an arts festival sometimes yeah, as well. So they, they do have a lot going on. 
but like, re re I mean, like the local festivals for us when we were growing up was Reading Festival, and I remember a lot of our friends just used to go to Reading Festival so they could get battered and just turn their brain to mush with all the drugs they take. So I think there's definitely a part of that. But and actually, I, like the, the atmosphere at Reading when you're like 17 and just off your face on that like Thursday night when no bands are playing, the atmosphere is so cool. <laughs> like it's really good. <laughs> um, like just people like tens of thousands of people just running around a field just off their faces it is a spectacle yeah <coughs> sort of lawless yeah <laughs> yeah <Outside of> <laughs> yes um, i've always been a bit disappointed when i've seen bands that i like at festivals yeah me too um the sound's not as good you don't get as many songs mm. never been, never seen them that they were better than when i saw them on their own and the sound's usually better in like indoor arenas. Yeah. Most of the time. Anyway. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, you don't get much of a sound check. Like you just. Yeah, you just turn, turn you just up. Have to, like turn up. Yeah. Quickly throw together on stage. You probably get a sound check like the weekend before. Yeah, they probably they probably get sound check at some point, especially the headliners would. Yeah, and then a line check before they go on. Um. Yeah. I I I'm like a my favourite gigs have always been ones in tiny venues. Where you're like right next to the right next to the band, so they're the ones where I feel like I'm most get, at one yeah, with the kind of people that are playing the music. Uh, but you get you get something else from like big because there's some big ones that I remember just being so like high quality that they blown me away. Like Sting and Paul Simon, mm. they both had like must have been like 30 musicians each oh, yeah. um, and then like they're all sorts of instruments and arrangements of their yeah. songs and like their singing was just like absolutely dead on all the way through like yeah. Sting just sounded exactly like so I don't think he missed a note like the whole time <laughs> it was so good um, so just the musicianship and the, the song the level of like songwriting everything the whole way through was just ultimate like I mean, that would have probably been even better in a small band. They wouldn't have been able to fill the musicians on stage, though, is not part of my point. Sometimes for the big production, yeah, stuff, I that's guess. a different experience. But um, That's interesting. I mean, I, I, I'm always one of the people that tries to get as close to the front as possible in this space because I, I just like... I just like being able to, like... Just being super close to the musicians just to kind of almost get what they're feeling, like, almost, like... Imagine what it's like to be on stage. Maybe it's because I like playing music live myself. Oh, yeah, I always like... get, when I'm at festivals, I'm just like, why are you on stage and not me? Like, that's, such a, <laughs> that's such a like petty, stupid thing to think, but it does always go through my head. It's just like, I mm. want to be up there. <laughs> I don't yeah, think I'll ever lose that there. feeling. But um, like, I, I, I feel the most sort of out of body when it's like a small venue and the band's yeah. right there, and then like everyone around me is just loving the music as well. Yeah. Um, I always want to be like enveloped by the sound. Mm. So I think that happens more at a small venue than a big one. Big venues are never quite loud enough for me. <laughs> <laughs> My ears aren't hurting. <laughs> Turn it up. I mean, your ears do sort of ring like it's probably louder, but I never feel like I'm like in the music. We should go and see Sun. <laughs> no. I'd actually that, be really keen to see Sun. Yeah, <laughs> you want to be in the music? Try this. I don't want to be like vibrated by the deep because I don't really like when you know when it makes you feel a bit sick when the, the I'm, waves are too much. I'm quite keen for that. Not like the sicky feeling, but just like the yeah, feeling of your whole body. Sun would be a sick feeling, and they fill it with smoke. For those who don't know, Sun, or more sun specifically, Sun uh, Zero Bracket Bracket Bracket. Uh, what would you call them, like a drone metal yeah, band? Drone metal, 
um, but they don't have any drums and they it's just essentially super loud sounding guitars um, no vocals and their studio tracks are like between, between 10 and 20 minutes long um, <clears throat> and to make a yeah vocalize, to vocalize that exactly like that and it is just listening to their kind of studio albums is an experience in, in themselves because they sound loud even if you have them on quietly they sound loud and they're live yeah life metal yeah that's that's the one that everyone who wants to check out son should go check out because it's so good yeah. all recorded to tape but we won't go into that yet because yeah, i know that james will just talk about that probably for hours <laughs> that, that'll be a kind of Aside, episode. yeah, <laughs> episode twenty-seven point one will be James talking about tape. <laughs> Never recorded tape. <laughs> um, so, anyway, Sun Live, um, they take it to another level. So you go in and they hand out like earplugs at the door, and apparently the room is just smoke. So you can't, you can barely see a thing. And they come on and they're like dressed up in these like hooded cloaks and yeah, they're like, like robes and stuff. And I think there's three of them on stage, like just and then they just play their guitar so loud that it like vibrates every every single part of your body. I'm not sure, so I, I want to go see that. I could try it, but I'm not sure I could do a whole concert of it. Yeah, maybe it would get, I, I think it would be I I incredible. You could leave. The ticket's really expensive though, I look them up, they're like 40 quid. Oh yeah, they've got smoke machines, they're kind of cheap. <laughs> All those earplugs are given out as well. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, mm. let's try and navigate back. So, <coughs> studio albums versus sort of live jams. Um, so, I think, well, <clears throat> when we started Tukin Echo, it was just going to be a studio project, essentially. It was just like, let's make songs and release them. Mm. Um, then we decided we really enjoyed doing that. And I don't really know why, but we decided, oh, let's like get a practice room mm. um, and let's play. And we've always played like, We've always improvised, um, basically as long as I can remember. When, when we played as two people or three people or whatever, mm. we've always had a like a bit of improvisation around our song, and it is something that, like, especially when we lived together like a few years ago, we would just like come back and start playing. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we came and played our, some of our studio tracks for the first time and kind of improvised around them and mm. really enjoyed it, and then just kind of grew from there. And we <coughs> became a jam band, and we were like. Some of them, were, you know, we started uh, extending these for like longer and longer. And mm. like, oh, that song was like ten minutes. That's crazy. Oh my god. Um, yeah. That... We sort of subsumed it into our identity. Yeah, it's very natural that progression. I think, which is good. We didn't even know who the Grateful Dead were when we first started no, yeah. doing it, which is we've pretty not, mental. We've not come from that sort of background. Yeah. <laughs> um, so. I, you know, I quite like that. It feels really, like, really natural as a progression. Mm. It's not like we've tried to force anything. Um, but now we've kind of defined ourselves a bit more as a jam band, like, because you can't... If you want to play 10-minute songs live, you sort of have to... Commit to it. You, you have to flag to people yeah. in a jam band, um, <laughs> which we try to do, although some people have come to our gigs and... Yeah, <laughs> just start looking that, for, for I just looked at my watch. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah. People who can't read my mind. I was imitating a grumpy person looking at their watch in frustration as a sort of passive aggressive gesture to the. Uh... Right. <laughs> anyway. Um, but 
so yeah, we just decided that we want to do that. Just like, oh, we're not going to go there and replicate our songs, and we're not even going to just rearrange them for three minutes. Like, we're going to do this where we don't plan what we're going to play. Maybe we plan what songs we're going to do, but we don't plan like where they're going to go, mm. uh, and that's going to be like a core thing of our. The cool thing is like we're two beasts and we jam, which is pretty cool because jam bands are usually like, lots of people. Yeah, like four minimum. So that kind of limitation and minimalism is another like bit of a challenge and mm. a bit of a unique sound because it's always yeah. going to be a bit more sparse. We do have yeah, we, we we do have problems to solve, but I think we've we're we're just like super set on this idea and we've like heard like really interesting bits in our jams that we're like mm. really hyped about. Um, but. Low end. We need to figure out how to get low end, but we will. Um... I, I think, I think we can get low end from from where we're at. I just yeah, need more. Yeah, I think amps. so. As well. Yeah, maybe, maybe we'll do a podcast on that. It's like the low end special. One, two, three, or four amps. <laughs> <laughs> you decide. Yeah. <laughs> we should do a poll. Yeah. <laughs> I think they'd all go four. Yeah. More is more. More is more. Um, but no, like. I think, yeah, it's just been our setup that we've not got low end. I think whenever we're plugged into a bass amp, the low end's there. Mm, punches through. Um, but we've just not, when we've sort of gigged, we've not really had that setup. I think I just, I just need to make sure that we get that like every time. It gets a bit lost, apparently. Anyway, we'll sort out our low end. But also, you don't get, I suppose, like moving low end to solo over the top yeah um and some people well quite a lot of people don't really like that sound because <clears throat> a lot of music is like harmony and counterpoint but i've kind of listened to so much white stripes and i suppose the doors didn't have a bass player but they they're not people didn't know that um but i've listened to sort of so much of that music that i'm quite okay with there not being a bass line mm. um and i like being trying to adapt my playing to like get bass lines in and it's sort of like, oh, we can play a bass line in the verse and then move to full chords and a chorus yeah. and sort of have to work out the dynamics yourself. Um, anyway, yeah, so we've, we decided to become a sort of cross between the White Stripes and Paul Simon and the Grateful Dead. It's sort of how I define it, in my knowledge of... Uh, that probably means nothing to most people, but to me that means a lot. I think that's a strong description, you know. Um, but what well, this sort of... How far are we in? Three, half an hour? Half hour. Yeah. So half an hour in. The crux. The crux of this, of this. Is that we don't know how to release our music. <laughs> Help, please. <laughs> please tell us. How, because we create sort of two two things. We create like in-studio tracks, which have a certain sound and process. Yeah, see episode 26 more, of the podcast. More layered, um, more electronic, experimental with sounds. Um, more polished, I guess. And then we have, well, yeah, and, and it'll, they'll have bass on it. <laughs> they'll have, I'll, I'll overlay a bass line, I'm not ashamed to do that. And then we have jams, where it's just the two of us, mm. live in a room, no metronome, yeah. no structure. And raw energy. Yeah. And we kind of think we're going to be more orientated around the latter, playing live. Improvisation, more like spontaneous mm. stuff, but we don't know how to release <laughs> studio tracks and that yeah. kind of coherently. Yeah, I mean, I see it as <laughs> I, I had an idea which where it would be. Um, oh look, it's another loud car. 
um, where we'd um, have our jams released in volumes and then instead of where a normal band would release like an album then sort of maybe tack on some like live tracks on on the deluxe edition like at the end mm. we would release our volumes and then at the end just tack on some studio tracks mm. <laughs> but we also like making albums it's, it's an absolute mess this <laughs> we're sharing our pain with the podcast yeah it's like how do we how I mean, do like, we introduce uh, people to the How important are the songs? Or are our fans going to be like open-minded enough that we can just put out a song as a jam for the first time? I think we can. I quite like that, you know. I, I quite like the idea of... If, if I was a fan of a band, like... I mean, this, this happens today, like, some bands just like play a random song live that they haven't released yet, and then like... Yeah. YouTube goes fucking mental over this track because it's like, oh my god, it's a new song, oh my god, oh, oh what is it? And then, and then like a year later... Did not obey the order. Yeah, exactly. And then like a year later, it's released in the album track and it's like, ah, oh, I remember when they played that live. <laughs> I was there. I was there. <laughs> yeah, it's that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so I think bands already do that, where they kind of release a song in a kind of jam format or a live format. Mm. And then later on it comes out as a real song. That's quite exciting. It's like, how do you orientate yourself around? Like, because we can keep... We need new songs to jam, effectively. Mm. We can't just jam the same ones. I mean, we can, but we can't just, like, have a collection of four or five that we do all the time. Like, that would get pretty tiring. Yeah. So, we need to keep expanding our songs we've written mm. and recorded, but... How do we, do we present those in studio form and then go and jam them? Like, and, and if our main kind of thing is releasing jams, mm. I don't, don't know how to do it without it being messy. It's kind of like, do we release albums? Is that going to be of interest or do we tack on the studio tracks? Do we do them as singles? I want to release albums. Part of me thinks that our, our fan base who are into sort of deep, long 10 minute versions of songs will want a deep album <laughs> mm. deep people this is our imaginary fan base right now are they because are they going to really want singles no they're music fans they might do I, I mean are they going to want like a double gatefold in what, yeah. what's the word in, embezzled in, no not embezzled embossed <laughs> Embossed vinyl in, in sort of reflective purple. Yeah, with, with like documentary and yeah. that comes included or something. Deep. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think our albums would deliver like. Uh, we recorded a track called, um, well, it's called Demoda right now. And it's, it's, like, it's like half an hour long and it's recorded one take. I mean, to be fair, it's not far off a jam, but we're going to overlay stuff on top of it. Um, that's deep. Mm. That's a deep track. No lyrics. Are there lyrics? Oh, you know, they're, they're, murmuring. Yeah, there's some spoken word, I think. <laughs> Is there spoken word? Somewhere. In the demo version, who knows what that? But, I mean, part of me want... I don't, know, I don't know if we've linked to this in the podcast or not, but... There's this... Everyone wants to get the studio version perfect, yet, like, we're... We're not paying lots of money to record now, like it's easy to record and that's a big difference to like 
this time of when you would try and capture the perfect thing in the studio. Mm. Like, recording was really expensive, so you would catch the perfect version. Um, but it's we could record every day now for free, essentially. Mm. Um, so the studio version doesn't have to be perfect because you could be in the studio every single day. So why do we still treat it as this thing that we do like only when we do an album or only when we do a single? Mm. Why do we only record songs once? Like, I, I want to dismantle that way of doing things. I don't see why you couldn't... I want them to be disposable. Yeah, have multiple <laughs> versions use. of the songs, yeah. <laughs> I like that. A bit more um, changing. Wabi-sabi. Yeah, it's like... I kind of want us to treat the studio with, imp like, with this jam improvisational feel to it. Mm. Maybe it's just because I'm lazy and I don't want to put out the perfect performance. But yeah, it might be. I kind of like the idea that that's got an, an improvisational element to it as well. Okay. I think that works. The idea that you're going to record a song differently every time you do it. So do it three, four times and see what comes out. I quite like that, you know. Like, you're not bound to this was the way it was on the record. Like, what's the record? Yeah, it's There's nothing, no it's made up. Anymore. Yeah. <laughs> There's no, like, because it used to be pressed to a vinyl, like, that was what it was. Yeah, but there, there was a, literally a master tape somewhere in a cupboard in, in like, a studio that has, there was the kind of definitive version. That is the solid, like, mm. archive <clears throat> what I did. I think what's more important is, is your point around how expensive it was to record. Mm. Like you couldn't, you literally couldn't afford to record m multiple versions of a song back in the day. But that's um, changing, mm. and I'm, I'm I'm so behind the idea of having even on our studio like songs having multiple different studio versions. Like I want to bring back Patina for something because that's just a mm. there's, there's something about Patina that deserves more mm. <laughs> airtime. Mm. <laughs> um, but. I, I, I don't have a problem with it being messy, you know? Having a kind of channel for studio releases and also jam releases. Mm. Like, we're not going to stop jamming. We're not going to stop making studio songs. Mm. I think that's fine. It's like, what's the best way to operate in a world of abundance? It's, this is like really the overarching concept, mm. but we move from a world in general of scarcity, of um, this is the one time you get to record in the studio, so the one mm. track you get to make. Yeah. This is your one opportunity to see a band this week. Yeah. This is one of the five channels on the TV. Yeah. Stuff's not limited anymore. We've moved. The internet has completely changed because of like you can copy stuff for free. Yeah. So stuff can be copied and distributed just rapidly. So. Um, and also, like, manufacturing is so good and cheap now that, like, it, if you, I don't know, if you make a pair of headphones or something, it's not the fact that you, the, the headphones are a commodity. Yeah. Um, so don't think just because you can make a pair of headphones that makes you, like, unique. Yeah. Anymore. Yeah. It used to be because not many people could make headphones. It was much harder. So mm. it's way easier to make stuff. So. And this just applies like to almost everything. The world is completely abundant now. There's mm. just crazy amounts of opportunity, access, ability to create, get attention. It, it's all in like your hands now. 
but it's overwhelming. Mm. It's hard to cut through you know, if you use methods of a scarcity world. So it's like how, it's working out how you operate in this everything's abundant. And I just don't think it's restricting supply. So I don't think it's releasing an album every five years as if people are going to build up to it. They're just not. There's too much. Yeah, because there's so much other stuff. Yeah. It's too, you're just a, so. I, so I'm just coming to touch on the idea that like a studio track's going to be because it's artificial that that's the perfect version of the song. I don't like the artificialness of the studio. These, these, these are all like really valid points, and, and I think you, every uh, brand needs some kind of constant exposure. But I see this kind of model where. Uh, the jams provide constant exposure and then we can create albums at our leisure because the job of getting in the face of people is done by the jams. It's like the jams are things that pop up on people's feeds. And but then why does an album have to be a set thing? We're not going to put it on a record. For the reasons that we discussed in episode 26 where we enjoy the creative process of an album. Yeah. And that's the writing process. That's, like, that's what you could choose to write a batch of songs in one go. Mm. But why would the songs that you recorded in 20... Or, you know, that version of Patina recorded in 2018. <coughs> could you not just have a link to Patina and then there's 20 different versions and you can choose your version? It's the same song, but it's interpreted in 20 different ways. We can have that as well. It's just... It did, the only thing that's really set is the, the song. Like you could go crazy and have different lyrics and the, 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 different the, the, tunes, yeah. but then it's kind of, you have to, you have to keep one thing. The, the abstract idea of the song. Um, it's, it's this, I'm, and uh, you know, I suppose we, one day we can get into a uh, Rainforest Roulette working title um, <laughs> of the Tukin Echo Spotify yeah. <laughs> that we're making. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this idea of, spontaneity and things changing and developing you're more like keeping up with a developing stream of info mm. and actually your filters become good and your search through this catalogue becomes good rather than curating a small perfect mm. catalogue you actually get better at what's more valuable is a better filter a better navigating of a massive world mm. create a world and help people navigate through it not like create a small creating small enough they can get straight away. But I, I don't think it's difficult to have both, you know. I think it's um, very simple to put out a album which is how we, in that moment, might like the music to flow to. Mm. But then you can also have those tracks uploaded to Spotify or whatever separately, mm. or your own database or whatever where people can easily search and group the songs together, like have all the versions of Patina. I think that would happen um, naturally to an extent if you have an active fan base they will kind of curate these lists of all the versions of your songs all the live versions or um yeah and they'll create their own playlist That's of the exactly songs right. and how they, they can flow so like they did thousands and thousands of shows and everyone taped them and mm. then then the community helped you navigate through which tapes to have which yeah which date was good on which song you know yeah and like you could yeah, they were doing that like the 80s. Like, yeah. You can do that now even more easily with the internet filtering and digital songs. Um, so yeah, I think you can still make the album. I think it's marketing it though. People expect that like the new music comes in this form and then mm. it's repeated for two years until 
it's, it's how you communicate and market a more abundant, spontaneous, ever-changing thing. It's been... We don't do it through the guise of a band, I guess. It's being a bit more like a YouTuber. Yeah, like it's a like, brand. It's like or like any content creator, like Gary Vee's Instagram post, like we mm. can't remember what he did in 2017, but he's just making new every single day. Yeah. Like it's constantly refreshing. Yeah. Um, I think I need to get into that as an artist, <laughs> that like you're never going to make anything that is going to stand the test of time anymore. Hmm. Like you might, some might rise to the surface and be more that than others, but it's not like now you're going to make an album for the ages. It's just not going to happen. I don't necessarily agree. Um, I haven't thought on this topic, but my gut is I don't necessarily agree. I think um, you might not, unless you go out of your way to create an album for the ages, I don't think you will. Um, but I don't, I don't really believe that either. You can just throw some songs together and all of a sudden it's great. Or, or maybe your legacy is like beyond which songs you've released and which albums you've you released. Maybe the thing that people remember is uh, whatever your band name is, like The Grateful Dead, I wouldn't say they had a standout album or song, but people just kind of, the legacy is the fact that they were The Grateful Dead as opposed to... I think it did have a couple of standout albums. But not, not, like not, like, not like classics, not like, um, yeah. not like Dark Fell of the Moon by Pink Floyd or something. Yeah. But then, you know, to what, how much does like an album even exist now, like, like we said in the last? Yeah. Like, there's still going to be songs that last. I don't know. I, 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 I don't, don't know. I, I mean, maybe, maybe it's worthwhile not banking on the fact that you're going to make a timeless piece of music, but I don't think it makes sense to exclude the possibility of doing it. It, it might not make sense to just like, Pin all your hopes and dreams on making like a absolute classic, mm. um, or even uh, setting out uh, to make a classic. But it might happen as a side effect because if we're in this world where, or we have this goal of making a hundred songs a year, uh, there's loads of songs going out there, and one might stand the test of time. I, I guess the wider point is, will music as an art form or any art? ever um, or any art that's created from now on still be remembered in I don't know a thousand years time or a hundred years time no. I don't agree last. I don't agree it's all gonna it, it won't even be able to last Where, where's everyone's masters these days internet yeah but what if like Spotify goes what if Spotify went out of business tomorrow say well, and and there was two things happened. Like Spotify went out of business, and our laptops like burned <laughs> in a terrible fire. There's the music we've recorded. There, there, there's there's ways. Extinguished. I don't. Well, maybe that's because we haven't taken the measures to actually protect it. Mm. But there will be ways digitally to protect your music mm. safely uh, and hedge your kind of lot. I mean, uh, far more safely than if your music was just on a tape in a fucking cupboard. That would just burn down or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel that's far more likely than um, if you have your music stored at, at I don't know, um, you have it stored on like Google and a number of other independent like um, uh, storage services. The chance of all of those like 
burning down, all their servers but, burning down simultaneously. But they would go, they will disappear over like the course of time. If you think like, I don't know, like a floppy disk or Yahoo or something like having having even stored on like an old email that's been shut hmm. down, like that's gone. Yeah, anyway, yeah, this is I, a different. I, I don't, thing. I don't, I don't think that they will disappear. And I, I don't think they will uh, disappear any more quickly than uh, an old master tape that is stored in a room. Because I feel like a physical thing is much more likely to disappear than a digital thing. Because a physical thing, there is like only yeah, one. you can't copy it as easily, a physical thing. But like, it will, you can still play it. Like, you always have to I don't know. I, I, I don't think you can bank on that. Um, any more than you can so bank on being well, able to play like floppy disk. format you've saved your digital file in. It's not unfeasible to say in 10 years time like there's a completely different music format and MP3s don't work. I think it is. I think you'll be able to play an MP3. Yeah, but there's, there's formats that were around in like the 80s and 90s that don't exist anymore. Really? Yeah, well like floppy disks. You I'm could just about you get could. a floppy disk you, you, You'd be able to find some way to get information on a floppy disk. But if you, Absolutely. For instance, if you save it in like a logic file, mm -hmm. that could quite easily go. So you could probably save your... Anyway, this, is, it's not really, this isn't really the point. We kind of got lost on the music archival point because I don't think that's the reason that you'd get forgotten. Because there's just so much more new stuff coming up. That... Yeah, it's more be that people didn't remember. Yeah. Particularly like after you died. Yeah. How many people, how many are gonna, there's a, a sort of like a chance, but I don't think you should be making music for the ages. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I do agree. Um, this is the thing around like studio, studio recordings is I don't think people should be trying to make them perfect. I think they should just be making more stuff. I think we should embrace like spontaneity and actual like musicianship. Mm. I feel like chiseling something out in the studio is not really musicianship, and like playing live to something you've rehearsed like a million times. I suppose that can get you to a higher, a higher level of achievement if you've rehearsed something that you couldn't just do like off the cuff. But yeah. Don't think we got to the bottom of this topic. <laughs> I don't. Think, I don't think we've got to the bottom of this yet. That's we'll a part two at some point. <laughs> We're at fifty minutes. Can we, can we bring this into a nice ending? Well, Tukaneko Identity Crisis is still ongoing. <laughs> we'll keep you updated. <laughs> um, Essentially, I think we're going to try and embrace jamming improvisation in all, in all forms. That's our, that's our priority right now. Yeah, we're a jam band not just because we perform our quote-unquote studio tracks live, but we're not afraid to make more like studio versions of track. Like, yeah, use the studio as just another way of performing effectively. Yeah. <clears throat> but how do we market them? Don't know. <laughs> how do we market? I, I, I don't think it's. I don't think it's. Um, I think it's simple though. I think it's just. You can quite easily just put up clips of your music and put them through advertising funnels, and I, I don't think that will be under the guise of a band. You don't have to say it's a band when you're putting up adverts on the internet. You just have to show people making music and playing music and creating an engaging performance that people invest in. And like the, the example that I think of is like Wolfpack. I don't think of Wolfpack as a band, really. Mm. But 
they create music and they release albums in the same way that a band does. But I still, I still don't consider them a band. They're more like a, like a just a creative group that makes music. It's um, content creators. It's different, and I think that will be where we end up. It's not that we call ourselves a band. It'll be like, oh yeah, we're a, yeah. we're a jam conglomerate. Not even just be musicians. You know, you're just like a exactly full stack. It's a brand. Creative. As they say, it's just independent people creating stuff for audiences. Mm. Music's just one of the forms that it could take. Mm. It's a. Two Connecto is a creative representation of whatever James and Harry, or both James and Harry, are interested in at the time. It's kind of communicating ideas. Yeah. And thoughts. But it's, I think filtering, search, that kind of thing is going to be more important than curate, us curating the art. It's better us to just splurge quantity, mm -hmm. <laughs> variety of thoughts. Because the aim is not for someone to be completely on top of a catalogue now. It's, can we, nav can we help them navigate through it? Can they discuss, like, can they just, yeah, make discovery easier. Is that That's the main yeah. pain point rather than lack of music in the world. There's too much music in the world already. Yeah. The problem becomes discovery, quality, whatever. So we shouldn't be trying to be scarce because there's already too much music. So whether we make one or a million songs, yeah. there's already too much music for the time that people are on Earth. So you're not actually filling bored you're not addressing boredom yeah <laughs> but you could be addressing like a particular thing that someone wants to hear or like a particular thought yeah. expressed in a particular way you yeah so don't your job is not to curate it into quality anymore yeah to create quantity and let the people decide and maybe you can look at like filtering or how, you, how that then gets to people, how the right songs find the right people, and you can see which ones you know take off. And trying to make studio tracks is a scarcity mindset. Any final thoughts? <laughs> I mean, I could carry on for a while. I, I don't agree with your final statement about trying to make studio tracks as a scarcity mindset. I think that's one side of it. That's the kind of perspective of, oh yeah, I want to get my um, music out to. Um, so, if, if you're looking at it from the perspective I want to create a mark marketable product, mm. you're right. A studio recording is not necessarily the most productive way of doing it right now. Um, but I still appreciate the kind of creative process of a studio recording. So, from a personal, artistic point of view, I want to make studio tracks. Oh yeah, I'm not saying we don't make them. I'm saying that they. Um, you shouldn't treat them as a, a rarefied thing. Yeah. I said, like, you should totally still make them, um, but it's, um, you shouldn't be trying to capture the song once perfectly. It should just, oh, yeah. it should be as open to experimentation. We shouldn't be putting the pressure on that, like, oh, we've got to get this right because this is the only chance we get to do it. We can mm. do it again tomorrow and again tomorrow and again tomorrow. That's what I'm saying. That's so great. Treat the studio with abundance. We're on the same page. <laughs> yes. And I think that is a good place to end. <laughs>
This one was quite a deep one. Yeah. <laughs> I think. But you know, it's a good, uh, it's a good record of our conversation. All right. So, for those who made it this far, you. you're all champions. <laughs> and we'll see you next time. Yeah. Adios. <laughs>